Hey, hey, welcome to Why Are We Whispering with me, Jenny Gay, author, stepmom, and all-around truth seeker and teller. If you're tuning in, you too are tired of sugar-coated content and conversations. This is the place where I put a megaphone to the mouths of adults, talking about life experiences that most of us find too shameful, too uncomfortable, too traumatic, and too embarrassing to discuss openly. We dive headfirst into experiences, thoughts, and behaviors that we keep secret or hush-hush, never truly speaking honestly and openly about them, but that most of us have in common. And I'm talking about it because life can be hard, it can be ugly, and it can be painful. And guess what? It's like that for all of us. So let's stop whispering. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. And if you've clicked on today's episode, there's a really good chance that you are going through a divorce, about to go through one, or are thinking about your options and divorce is one of them. Whilst divorce is fairly common, with 42% of marriages ending in divorce in the UK, half of marriages in the US, about 40% in Canada, and approximately 30% in Australia, we still carry loads of shame around this. And one of the things I think is so important and reasons why I wanted to have a real conversation about divorce today is that I really think that we need to start reframing divorce and basically we need to start doing divorce better. So I've asked Nikki Parkinson on today. She's a divorce coach and strategist and also a parenting coordinator, which I love. And I am sure Nikki has seen it all. So I'm really excited about today's conversation. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So I guess we should kick off today with maybe asking you what is one of the biggest misconceptions um, about divorce that you're seeing today? Look, I think the the big thing that people is that ending a relationship or ending a marriage is really, really tricky and it's really hard and it's emotionally exhausting. Mm. Um but it's also can be the best thing that can ever happen to you. So if I look back to my separation, now that was uh, six or seven years ago, six years ago, I think. And at that point in time, I was an absolute shell of a person. And it hit me like it really knocked the wind out of me. But now I will tell anyone that wants to listen that it was absolutely the best thing that could have happened to me. I think that's um, a common story. And when, but when you're in the storm, um, and it can be a storm, it doesn't feel that way in the moment, does it? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it's easy to sit here and say six years down the track that this is the best thing that could have happened to me. And for some people, it won't be that. And for some people they may never get to feeling that way. And what I want to say is that that's okay and we are all humans having a human experience Mm. and it's different for everyone. So it's what is good for me, what worked for me, what may work for someone else is really different to the individual and I think we need to recognise that. What do you think people 
or why do you think I should say people carry a lot of shame and embarrassment around the ending of their marriage or the ending of it of a long-term relationship? And, you know, it, keep in mind, you are divorcing for a reason. So, you know, whether they were abusive, it's a toxic um, relationship between the two of you, you've grown into different people, um, or you just want different things out of life now. Um, why do we look at it as a failing when it's not really a failing? It's more of just an ending to something that doesn't serve you anymore and the beginning of something that potentially will. Why, why, why do you think we continue to carry so much shame around this when it is so common as well? What I think happens is we're still stuck in this, and I want to preface it by saying it's getting better, but nobody starts a relationship or nobody enters into a marriage thinking that it's going to end. So we have these grandiose expectations that this is going to be forever and forever is a really long time. Like if we look back at the vows and we go, okay, till death do us part, then it's entrenched in the very beginning that if that doesn't happen, then we've failed. So the ending, and society has for a very long time told us that marriage or divorce is or So society for a really long time has told us that divorce is a failure. And if we look at all of the the movies, ending of relationships are failures and no one ever really ends up happy at that period. So we've looked at this as a society for a really long time and if something doesn't last as it should, then we must have failed at it. Mm. It's, yeah, the the reframing of it definitely needs to take place because um, I think it also is what contributes to a lot of the... um, the negativity that can happen through the course of the divorce proceedings. Um, And it could start off fine, but as things start to progress and you start to bring assets and money and and kids into the fold that people start getting, you know, nastier, um, more combative. So can you talk us through what you feel bad looks like in your experience through the divorce process? As in, Um, How do you recognize when you or your ex are heading down the wrong path in the process? And how how do you turn that around? Because it's easy to be angry and petty and and all of those things, um, especially if you feel aggrieved. So what what would you advise to do if the proceedings start to go down a negative path? Look, it's a really good question because the thing is when ego starts to get involved and that generally is going to be when someone's feelings are hurt, then we Mm. tend to, we get to a point where it's all very much self-centered and it's all about me and we lose direction. So my suggestion to people is always take the high road. And that's really difficult to do. So it's really easy for me to sit here and say to you, you need to take the high road. But what does that actually look like? And the bad is when conflict becomes or the the separation or the divorce becomes even more acrimonious than maybe it was from the starting point. 
And I think it's really important that we recognize that just because your relationship ends or your marriage ends, it doesn't mean that the things that you argued about within that relationship or marriage stops then and there. There isn't a line in the sand. So those things generally come with you. So whether it be different parenting styles, whether it be different personalities, they're all going to come along with along with you until you individually start to recognise what your responsibility here is. And we've all got a responsibility in how we deal with that and how we deal with ourselves and what we're going to take forward in that pathway. From a legal perspective, I think things get off track when lawyers, and this is very general because I have a lot of um, really great relationships within the, the legal fraternity, but there are times where you will find that lawyers are actually fueling the fire here. And they're not, they're becoming Mm. a little bit too involved and too emotionally invested in their client's story. Now, you've got to remember that the client is telling you often a version of their truth. Now, that doesn't mean that it is the actual truth. There's an old saying in family law where there's, it's his, hers in the middle right? So, and I know that that's really general, but generally there is some middle ground here that somebody has heard something or it is their truth and that's okay, but it might might not necessarily be their truth. So I would say choose your legal team really well. And if at any stage in that process, you don't feel that they are giving you their best or they are becoming too emotionally invested and I know it's a costly exercise but don't be afraid to to find legal represent, representation that is going to um, keep your family network together whilst you are separating and separated and I think that mm. lawyers become they should just stay in their lane and do their jobs. They're not there for emotionally emotional support. They're not there to be your friend. They're there to help you with the legal arguments and the legal issues that they at hand to your marriage breakdown or your relationship breakdown. And that's generally it. But don't get confused with the advice that you don't like by it being bad advice. So there's a fine line there. I think that the way that you can get things back on track is really recognizing your part in this because relationships break down generally because of two parties. Now, I'm going to preface that by saying that domestic and family family violence is not one of those situations, but relationships generally break down because of many, many things that has happened in a relationship over a period of time that just doesn't work anymore. Mm. So it's taking taking responsibility for yourself and that's a hard pill to swallow sometimes because we can sit there and I know I've been there. Um, if you ask me if I did things well, I'll tell you no and I know better. 
um, because my feelings were hurt and uh, I was acting out of fear. Um, and I had all of the knowledge back then, right? So when people are backed into a corner and we're talking about emotions and feelings, those things tend to take control for a period of time. So get back to what you and how you want to move through it. Think about your goals. Think about your values. Think about your who you are as a person and how do you want to move through that and are you being true to that person? I, I love that because um, you can get lost um, in the storm um, and it very much is a storm. I lived through it with with my now wife. Um, so when you are in a um, kind of a toxic dynamic and, a, and the process is becoming quite volatile, um, I'm just kind of reflecting back on um, my experience as an outsider watching my wife go through a divorce and that was dragged out over the course of four years. Um, what would you say to people? Because I think what, what a lot of people don't realize before they enter into the divorce proceedings, certainly in the UK, is um, the courts don't really provide any provision or protection against one party that might be mudslinging or even telling blatant lies about the other person. So essentially what I think people don't realize is you can actually say whatever you want or imply that someone's hiding money or doing whatever. Um, and you yourself as the one being um, on the receiving end of that have to prove that you're not, but then there's no kind of consequence or recourse for the person who is mudslinging. So, excuse me, in your experience, how would you navigate that? And what advice would you give to the person um, on the receiving end of that? It's a really difficult situation for people to be in because the default is we want to protect ourselves and we want to be heard and we want to say that that's untrue. Mm. The justice system here in Australia um I think is a little broken and it's it, it similarly probably in the UK the thing is we've got judges that are making decisions about families that may not be equipped to deal with those situations now things are changing a little like the coercive control laws are changing and the family we're starting to recognize that these things do happen and generally what the other person doing it is using that as a weapon. So they're being, they're weaponizing the other person or the children or the money or the set of circumstances. And what you want to do, you're right, you want to prove that you're innocent and you want to prove that that didn't happen. And there isn't generally a recourse because we're not in a criminal court. And I think that that's what people find really difficult because... yeah you want that other person to recognize that they've done the wrong thing here. And as hard as that is, there isn't really a recourse. But what I would say to people is don't stoop to the, that level. It is as difficult at, as it is, but really gather your resources as well. Like gather your evidence, gather the uh, and this might be a prior to separation 
thing that you might want to think about because the person on the other side or your ex knows you probably better than most people, right? So they know the buttons that they're going to push and they know the inroads that are going to hurt and they know the inroads that they're going to get a reaction. So how do you then deal with that? Do you fight back and, and, and participate in that conflict? And generally as humans, we, we, like I said, we want to be heard. We want to, the truth to be told that that actually didn't happen or that is untrue. But generally I will say that the court has a way of figuring that out. Like they, the judges are there for a reason. They are well educated. They can generally see through those types of things. So as difficult as it is, have a little um, faith and trust in the system, which is not easy when you're in it. You made it. Yes, um, yes, absolutely. And you made a really good point about um, gathering your facts and your evidence um, even ahead of time. Um, and perhaps just sticking to the facts and the evidence as much as you can. So what I mean by that is, um, you know, save text messages, emails. Um, you need to paint a picture and, and a story, um, and all of that needs to be evidenced. Um, so I think one of the things that I've um, just based off my own experience when I'm talking to other friends who are going through this process now um, <clears throat> is that the courts will only really, they don't take um, like sentiment or emotion. So just keep sticking to the facts. So it doesn't matter what your ex says about you, because that will be based on emotion. Um, as long as you have the facts to support the counter to that, that you should be okay. So what is something else that people, so we've got evidence um, collection and presentation that, um, ahead of a divorce that people need to be aware of. Um, but what else would you um, kind of give people the heads up about that they might not know about divorce? So one of the things, just to kind of kick that off, one of the things I didn't realize was in the UK, um, the courts expect you to attempt mediation before they will kind of allow the court proceedings to go forward. So they want you to kind of settle things out of court if possible before entering into the court process. Now, of course, this is um, quite difficult if you are leaving a marriage because you have been abused or um, if that person is a narcissist um, or has personality disorders or any of that stuff that can make mediation painful, traumatic, impossible. Um, yeah. And I know with... Um, with my, my now wife, when she was going through it with her ex, the, the, she was willing to make um, all sorts of accommodations and meet halfway for loads of things. Um, unfortunately, the other party was not, um, and it was just no to everything. And actually, the mediator came up to my wife afterwards and said, I'm so sorry, like, this is going to be very, very traumatic and long and drawn out for you. Um, and I'm sorry that I couldn't help in that. Um, so what, what are some other things um, in addition to gathering your facts and your, and your evidence as well as preparing for mediation that you would advise people to um, be aware of ahead of entering into the divorce process? So if you think of it um, in 
Well, let's compartmentalise it a little. So the, the legalities, uh, yes, we are going down a pathway of mediation first and foremost. Most mm-hmm. lawyers will will recommend you attend mediation and take some genuine steps in the federal circuit court and the family court of australia you have to actually fill in a document which is called a genuine steps document and you have to show the court that you have made every attempt to try and resolve this matter before you ask the court to do that Mm -hmm. and then along that pathway there are other steps of taking um, the court may order you to go to mediation or dispute resolution and there are other steps along the way where you can participate in in that process and I think it's a it's a really great way it's a really good pathway but like you said when you when you have another party on the other side that is not willing to negotiate it's very very difficult the mediator's job is to bring you both together to land in a space that you can live with now, you might not necessarily um, be 100% happy with that. It's a negotiation and that's why you're there. Other things to, to think about are disclosure documents. Um, what are those disclosure documents? Here in Australia, it is all of the financial evidence that you may not have access to if you then leave the home. So things like bank statements, um, valuations, anything that shows some evidence that is attached to an asset liability, whether you have a, an interest in it, your ex has an interest in it, or together you have a third party interest in that. Finances, I think, are also really important. Um, they, women between the ages of 45 to 55, are at a, such a high risk of homelessness, particularly outside or after a divorce. So if you can, and this is not not possible for everyone, if you can, have some financial resources that you can back yourself up with. Now, what is, what is that? Think about do a, a forward planning budget. So what is it, the, the basics, right? House yourself, feed yourself, feed your children, what are the basic things that you need and what are they going to cost and calculate that forward for a couple of months if possible and have that money there because when you are making decisions at the height of something that is really, really stressful and you're asked to really make a decision about your future and you have no clarity about that and you are acting from a place of fear or stress or survival, you can't make a clear decision. So think about your finances, really important. Where if you're in a, where are you going to live? Think about can you live together in the home and if you're going to do that, what are the rules of engagement there? Think about what it looks like for your children and having those conversations with your children. And sometimes you can do that together, sometimes you can't. Keeping your emotions in check are the most important thing and self-care and your well-being that I think you can do for yourself. And when you're in a state of overwhelm, that's really hard to regulate. So think about really short 
immediate things that you can do. So one of the things that I will always go through with clients is a box breathing exercise. It's about 16 seconds and it can really bring you back to the present moment and grounding yourself as simple as taking your shoes off, planting your feet on the ground, taking a few breaths. Okay, now I'm feeling okay and I can move forward from there. So it doesn't have to be meditating for 20 minutes or an hour or going for a walk where your day is already squeezed. Find some things that can bring you just those moments to bring you back to yourself and then you can carry on. The big stuff can come later. I think the other thing that I would say to people is don't think too far forward because if you start to think about the whole picture of what this looks like, that is overwhelming and terrifying. You're going to get to the other end, whatever that destination might be. But if you start to think about that right here and now, particularly in the early days of your separation, you are going to absolutely throw yourself into a tailspin. So moments by moments, categorize those, put them into buckets, compartmentalize them, and then deal with the flow. You're going to get to the end, whatever that, right? You're going to get there. You don't have to rush through it. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I think it's important. Um, you mentioned, you know, the emotions that you're, that you're going to be feeling and, and preparing oneself for what I've certainly seen with, um, my own wife, as well as, um, other people that have gone through it, um, even her ex, is that there, there seems to be almost a cycle of emotions that happens um, in the divorce process. So I, I think what people need to prepare themselves for is in the beginning, you might feel this feeling of freedom and this feeling of almost excitement, and I'm going to start dating again. And I'm, you know, um, you, this just a very kind of more of a positive feeling. And then as the process starts to begin, you start thinking, oh shit, this is not going the way that I wanted it to go. Um, I'm starting to realize that maybe my lifestyle is not going to be the same anymore. And um, maybe, you know, if I'm older, then dating is harder and, you know, all of these things. So you start having that, oh shit feeling. Which then as the, you know, continues on and you realize, you know, how traumatic the divorce proceedings can be if you're doing it badly, um, then you're thinking, you know, this is hopeless. This is never going to end. You're almost like grieving a little bit. And then, you know, there's so there's a kind of a cycle of emotions that happens throughout the process. You get to the end and then one party is usually feeling more relieved and then that this is great. I can start over again. And the other party is usually a bit aggrieved. Um, And if you're sharing kids, that can be quite contentious. So I think preparing oneself for the cycle of emotions that's going to happen and how you feel today about it is not how you're going to feel tomorrow. And it's certainly not how you're going to feel in a year from now. So as you said, getting um, some grounding and some perspective and maybe some help, some therapy through that process, making sure you have a good circle of people around you is really really imperative and not yes, not people who are are yes people, but people who can also look at you and say, you're being a dick right now. Yeah. 
you know, you're handling this badly. Um, or, you know, you're making this a lot more difficult than you need to. You just need to concede on this point or whatever the case may be. You need, you need people who are not afraid to be honest with you because those are the people that are going to really, really help you through the process and make sure that it's not dragged out for longer than it needs to be and that you can start the healing as soon as possible. Most definitely. And what I'd add to that is give them permission to do that for you because yeah. it's it's you you don't want the yes person you want people to pull you up but also when you're in the thick of that and emotions are running high you want someone that you've said to them okay you need I'm giving you permission to pull me up here I need to be my best self and I'm not going to be right here in these moments so I need you to do that for me and really drag me back to to that space or drag me forward to the person I want to be, not where I am down here in yeah. the trenches. Yeah, because it can be a dark place and it can feel very, very hopeless and grim. Um, and having people telling you that you're doing everything right is not helpful because most likely you're not because none of us will in that set of circumstance. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's... It, it, that is crucial to moving it onto a path of success rather than staying in a place of stuck when you're in going through your divorce. And um, how would you uh, talking about kind of bringing kids into the fold now? So how would you advise your clients to um, approach the children and inform them that um, their parents are, are divorcing um, and what that's going to look like for them? Bringing or, Having children in a separation or a divorce just adds that extra layer because as parents, we um, we want the best for our children and sometimes we get a little bit blindsided by what we think might be the best for our kids. So I think, again, taking the ego out of your decision-making process and really thinking about what is in the best interest of my children and removing that selfishness there as well because you want to spend as much time with your children. The other parent wants to spend as much time uh, with the children and sometimes they just get really stuck in, in the middle of that and they're as opposed to the centre. So the difference is the middle is they're just they're pushed and pulled from every direction. The centre is we're making decisions around this family dynamic that looks a little different now. And because ultimately we're still a family, right? But it, it's just a di the dynamics are different. When we're talking about uh, telling our kids about divorce and separation, be prepared. Be really, really prepared. Write a script out if you need to. Think about all of the questions that they are going to ask you. Now, this bearing in mind there's going to be ages and stages. So younger children might not have um, as many questions or an understanding of what separation or divorce actually means. And time for them looks very different because they see time as different, um, you know, in their different stages. So let's 
three-year-olds, for instance, are going to see time very differently to a 10-year-old. So figuring out how the children are going to spend time with each parent is really important and doing that before you have conversations. Being open and honest with your children and letting them know that you love them unconditionally, no matter what happens in parents' relationships. Think about what is important for them. Now, parents and relationships sometimes just don't last. And it's okay for you to say that to them, that you still love their other parent, but you're not in love with them. And they're two very different things. So the unconditional love for a child is really, really important because what we don't want them to start to then think, oh, well, it's my fault that my parents aren't going to be together anymore. Or um, there's a really great book by Grace Casper, and I should remember the name of it off the top of my head, but she's written this book through the eyes of a child as a 24-year-old woman, and it's fabulous. So it's all of those things that um, kids might think about that as parents we don't think about. Honesty is is really important. They don't need to know the details, but you can be honest with them. And I think if you start that from the get-go, that's really important One of the things that I did with my kids at the time, so my youngest was 11 and my middle um, son was 15, I think, at the time, and I said to them, I will never lie to you, but I will not give you the details that you don't need to have because some of these are adult concepts and you don't need to be involved in that. You ask me a question, Mm -hmm. you will always get the truth. Will you always get the nitty-gritty details? Probably not because you don't need to have those. Right. So, and I, I love that. I think that's very helpful, but my, I guess my additional question to you is that's great from your side where you feel like, you know, you're doing the right thing by the children thinking about the kids. What, and this is, this is the darker side of mm-hmm. divorce and separation when you have kids is there can be, instances where that other parent is practicing parental alienation tactics. And this is the stuff that nobody really likes to talk about that I really want to shine a light on because um, there is, there can be a darkness to, to custody battles and sharing um, your children and what you might be doing in one house is not taking place in the other. And that is mixed messaging for the, for the children and can have long-term detrimental effects. Um, so if you are practicing the, you know, coming from the school of thought of what's best for the child um, and never villainizing the other parents and being honest and open with them in a child-friendly way um, and providing that security for them, what would, what advice would you give to those who are not are receiving on the receiving end of parental alienation tactics, which is confusing their kids and they're coming home kind of regurgitating the stream of consciousness that is all negative about you. Um, and how do you dispel those myths to your child or your children? So what I would say to you is, or say to that parent is get curious, open and transparent conversations, allowing them, um, you know, as you've said, think for yourself Um, getting them to 
not brushing it under the carpet. But if that is continuously happening, then who is the advocate for the child? And you might want to think about engaging some child therapy or some family therapy who can then help the child through with some tactics for them to be able to feel that they are being supported or some tools that they can get curious themselves about the things that the other parent might be saying about the other parent as well. So it's it's a really tricky situation and it happens, right? It happens more often than we like to think that kids are being weaponized or used as weapons or messengers or involved in the conflict. It it happens on a daily basis. And you're right, the long-term effects are so detrimental, not just in the here and now, but their future and the social impact that that is going to have on the next generation is is crucial that we kind of we stop that now. But again, you also can't control the other parent when the children are in their care. Now, if there is is risk involved, then you need to you need to find um, safety and you need to find those elements where you can get some support and lean on the authorities for that. I mean, that's worst case scenario, right? But giving your kids tools to process those things is really important from from the get-go. Yeah, I've often found um, that, as you mentioned, you know, getting children to think for themselves, empowering the child um, with, you know, promoting their own ability to think for themselves. So in the, in the instance where one parent has said, you know, mummy's mean or daddy's mean or, or, you know, hurt mummy hurts mummy or daddy or whatever the case may be kind of saying that's the really interesting um, that you've said that. Do you think that that's true or what's your experience when, when you're home with mummy or just getting, encouraging the child to think for themselves without saying that's not true and you know that's you know and berating the child because that's also I think one of the the tactics behind parental alienation tactics the tactic behind the tactic is to kind of um to goad the other parent into almost coming down on that child so that only further solidifies what the other parent is saying about them it it it, it, I could go on all day about parental alienation (laughs) Um, and and how awful they are. But what I think what is really important for our listeners is if you find yourself doing it, please stop. You know, that what you're doing to your child, it's hurting your child more than it is the other parent. And to get out of your own headspace and into the headspace of your children and what they're experiencing, because when you become a parent, it's no longer about you. So yes, you're, you're feeling pain and anguish and all of these things when you when you're going through the divorce process or have just completed it but you cannot put that on your child it's it's not their responsibility to make you feel better um, Absolutely and not. when you are trying to hurt your other your ex through your child you are only hurting your child um, so I think that's really important for for parents to keep in mind. Um, and your future persons. relationship with your children too. I mean, they're they're going to grow up, right? They're going to they're going to grow up. Absolutely. And they're going to figure it out. You know, they're going to be adults one mm-hmm. day, and yep. they're going to make these decisions themselves. And they will they will remember 
So it's not just the relationship that you have here and now with your children. It is your future relationship with your children. Do you want that? And I agree with you. If you if you are listening and that is you, please stop. Yeah. Are there any other points that you would like to or think that are important to raise um, for our listeners who are about to or thinking about maybe entering into the divorce process or going through it or, or just finishing that they need to um, be aware of that they might not know that they need to be aware of. Oh gosh, how long have we got? Um, I, I think. <laughs> well, let's, start, let's, start, let's start with the, the legal fees. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. Okay. So how much is divorce going to cost you? <laughs> well, it's if you're entrenched in the legal system, yes, it is the the going rate I think for a family lawyer at this moment is probably between 550 and 800 an hour so that means that every time you pick up the phone you send an email you write a text message uh, they are working for you you are on the clock now as yeah, much now as that is Australian dollars correct Austra- yes yes so here in Australia the, yeah. the the rate is usually between 550 and 800 dollars depending on expertise. And that's not, and that's not including you, you, you have to put a retainer down as well in order to secure your solicitor or your lawyer or whatever the case may be. So I yes. think in the UK, it's a 5,000 pound retainer right off the bat. So that goes into an account right away that they can draw upon um, in addition to the hourly rate. Correct. Yeah. Very similar here in Australia. And it would depend on um, the amount of the retainer. So don't be surprised if you're asked to, to put between five and $10,000 Australian dollars or more into your lawyer's trust account just to get started. So that's, yeah. I mean, the costs can be exorbitant now, but there are other services that do fixed fee services. So think about looking into that. There are fixed fee mediation services, fixed fee legal services that are really doing their best to move away from those high court costs because a property matter here in Australia, and mind you, 80% of those never get to a trial, but you can expect to spend Mm -hmm. upwards of about $100,000 to $150,000 to get there. Yeah. And that's... That's probably a conservative guess. Now, that being said, I'm not sure if it's the same in the in Australia as it is in the UK. Um, but in the UK, if you are not the breadwinner or the person that you know has the finances or makes the money, let's say, or makes the most money in the, in the dynamic, you can have that person pay for all of your legal fees. That can be wrapped into the divorce settlement. Is that yeah, the same that- in Australia? It's not a given. It can be a negotiation, though. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. So just it, just so people know that there there are options that you're not stuck. And, and so just to kind of summate um, the our conversation here on what people can expect um, when going through the divorce, so or things that they should prepare themselves for. So obviously, gathering all of your facts, um, text messages, evidencing material to support your case. Um, you can also expect um, 
for the ex to mudsling and just, be, you know, be able to tell lies about you in court. And there's not really anything you can do about that other than to plead your case through evidencing material, which is why that's so important um, to get that together in the first instance, especially if you're going to be going through the divorce proceedings with um, a narcissist or somebody who's got mental health issues, that, that, that is something that you should absolutely prepare for. Um, the emotions. So going through the kind of cycle and array of emotions that you'll feel from freedom and elation to, you know, hopelessness and um, just depression. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So just keep in mind how you feel today is not how you're going to feel tomorrow. And it's not going to be how you feel in five years from now. So just always looking forward is really, really important and grounding yourself surrounding yourself certainly with um, people who are not yes, yes people, surrounding yourself with um, truth tellers and people who have your best interest at heart and want you to be the best version of yourself um, and to see when you're, when you're in the wrong um, throughout the course proceedings because you will at some point have a misstep, um, react emotionally and erratically rather than logically and with reason because that is natural in this process it's going to pull on every facet of your emotional toolkit that you ever thought you know was possible um so just to prepare yourself for the 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 bad version of yourself to come through and making sure that you have the right people around you to get you back on track um and then also how to handle yourself you know with your kids and how to approach it with the children and and keep a level head and to ensure that you are not whether on purpose or, or not, you know, consciously doing it, practicing parental alienation tactics with your kids. Because if you villainize the other parent, that will bite you in the behind um, in the long term and have detrimental effects on the kids. You're not hurting your ex, you're hurting your children. And then obviously the fees, um, what to expect from, uh, from a financial point of view and what your options are, as well as realizing that you're probably going to have to demonstrate good faith and um, go in doing mediation ahead of court proceedings is really important for people to realize as well that you will in fact have to sit at a table with your ex, look them in the eye and try and negotiate, um, which can be a daunting um, task and feeling. And so preparing yourself ahead of that is really, really important. Well, look, I would say that um, not all separations end in court. So, I think there is a there's a definite movement for um, doing it differently. Uh, there are obviously times where you will have to rely on the court process and that's what it's there for. My suggestion to anyone is, if at all possible, try mediation, try other alternatives. There are an abundance of services that are available to try and help people do this better and outside of a court system because I, I truly believe that the court system in the worst case scenario really does tear families apart and you can't always get that yeah. back again. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. I, and, and that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to shed a light on some of um, these aspects of the divorce proceedings, because we're talking about a lot of how to do how to do it badly. Um, because I, you know, we do need to start doing divorce better. Um, yeah, it doesn't have to be 
as ugly as I think it gets um, in mo- more, more often than not. It doesn't have to go that way. We need to self-regulate and we need to better prepare ourselves. And there's not a lot of information out there that tells you kind of the nitty gritty of what to expect from the divorce proceedings. So that's kind of why I wanted to shed a light on some of these things um, for our listeners. And one of the ways I always end our um, episodes is by asking when there was ever, if there was ever a time, sorry, that you felt like you didn't speak up and you wanted to speak up or felt like you couldn't speak up about something, what was it? And why didn't you speak up? I think, um, well, there's a, a, there's a few occasions. So when I was in the um, legal profession, um, I think there were times where, as I said before, there were uh, situations where lawyers really weren't advocating for their clients for a resolution. And I feel that that's really important. And I do truly believe that there is a movement for people to do things differently. And uh, the second time, which is probably um, more relevant here, is I was stuck in uh, ego for a f- quite a few um, months in the end of my separation. I was hurt. I had a lot of feelings um, going on, and I didn't. I didn't speak up. I knew that things could be different. I knew things should be different, but I, for a little while and not a long time, but I kept on the pathway of destruction because, Mm. and I knew better. And if I could take uh, that back here and now, um, I would have done things differently or I would have spoken up sooner and it would have been, we don't have to be um, at each other. We can do things differently. We can do things better. But when you've got two people that are in a very um, sad and emotional situation, we couldn't see forward for that and we didn't have the right people Mm. in our corner to be able to do that then. And I will often say, I wish I had me who I am now as a divorce coach back then because if I had that support network in place then things would be probably different now. Thank you for your for your candor on your experience there um, and thank you so much for your time today Nikki. I hope that um, the people listening can take some good nuggets and and help them through what's to come for them or what they're currently going through and or what they're kind of experiencing post. So thank you so much for lending your time and your expertise. You're very welcome. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Why Are We Whispering podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening and leave a review. You can also follow us on Instagram at Why Whisper Podcast. And don't forget to speak up and out. Let's stop whispering.